Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Friday, which means it is time for another Take Two podcast. And joining us, a lovely replacement for Jim Dubacus, <laughs> so Margaret much Carabello. Nicer. Look at this. Yes, uh, you'll know her Thank from you. the Exoro Group. Thank you so much for being here with us. Greg Hughes, you know him. He's here for the long haul. So just be nice, Mark, please. Just you know, J- Jim's easy. Jim's easy. Miss, you know, Jim Clay. <laughs> you could actually give me some heat here. Well, we got to talk a little bit about Mara, who you are, and what you stand for. And while we traditionally try to fill this Jim seat with a Democrat, I don't know that you can ever fill it with the kind of Democrat Jim Debacus is. But is for you sure. don't like to own the title of Democrat and don't take it on at all. Tell me a little bit about who you are, where you stand and how you lean. I love public policy. Uh, I love Utah. I love our culture. I love being left of center. Um, I often have the progressive point of view and the liberal point of view. But, you know, I'll tell you, the last several years, I'm probably where a lot of Americans are, that party is not how I'm going to define my point of view. Um, It's going to be individual positions. I will say, most of my positions fall left of the center line. All right. Well, this should be fun, so let's get started and get to the topics. Uh, With Jim out of the way, we can finally talk about the Salt Lake mayoral race. (laughs) Yes. Yes, which will be fun. And there are a lot of candidates. The latest numbers came out. Jim DeBack is actually the lead with 27%. Luce Escamilla right behind at 10%, then San Panfold at 8 and then we have a three-way tie at 6%, and then the numbers fall off from there. So they've decided that all eight of them can debate. Let's start with you, Mara. Is this a good idea to have eight people on the stage, or should they have figured out a way to narrow down I mean, choices? I think it's equitable is what it is. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Alliance for Better Utah is the debate we're talking about. Yeah. So the viewers need to remember, I think there's 10 or 15 forums, and, and sure. that's really healthy. But this is the first sort of big Alliance for Better Utah. I think it's the better position for them. They are a community group that has made their name from shouting out about equality and shouting out. So yeah. for them to have even sort of opined a little on only choosing the top four felt really off-brand, if you will. So I don't mind. I think it's great. The other thing, just wonky for a second about the poll, the poll is plus or minus 4.5%. And with so it's a most statistical tie yeah. per second. And I think we all have to say Jim DeBacchus heads-on looks like he's going to be one of the two popping out. I think yeah. you'd be crazy to not think that. Yep. But I think there's now five or six who are truly tied for second place. And we have 34% who are undecided, so one would assume that with Mayor Biskupski not running again, this really could still be anyone's race, right? It's absolutely anyone's. Here's the other funky thing about Salt Lake City. So in the last probably four cycles, so you're looking at, at you know four years in between those, voter turnout has only changed about 2,000 votes. Wow. Isn't that weird? So we're not looking at an electorate who's really ebbing and flowing. So this is going to be about candidates knowing how to walk, knowing how to decide who's going to turn out, knowing who's interested in this race. As Mara pointed out, she's left of center, so I, th- I think it'd be fair to, to say that I'm right of center. You is are. That, is that, is that you right? You lean slightly little bit, to the right. Little bit. So I think I could be like the game changer in this race. Who do I love that will sink that campaign 
into oblivion. I just have to get my arms good. around somebody, right? So this do you have good. somebody Yeah, so this around? is the moment where I can just wipe out a wipe good campaign. Out. No, I, I will say this. Uh, I, I happen to, for, for good or bad, know the candidates that are in this race, many of them. Um, I've, I've worked with some on, on levels of public policy. I've gotten to meet some and, and, uh, directly. Uh, Jim DeBacchus, our former uh, you know, co-host here, is, there is, you know, he has a high, high name ID. But I think, I think that right now, uh, before debates take place, before, you know, it's summertime right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on vacation. I don't know that I would take name ID and know that that's where voters are landing, per se. And when you see that, that bunched up in second place, and I do think that it's hard to see who's separating themselves that will come out of a, of a yeah. primary. But this is what I believe. When Ralph Becker was running against Jenny Wilson, I, I knew Ralph, and I knew that he was walking every day. And at the conventional wisdom was that Jenny, because her walking father, is in knocking walking, doors, not yes, out there yeah. speed walking. Well, no, not, <laughs> okay, not speed, not in the mall or in you know <laughs> around a track. He was walking and knocking doors every single day, yeah. meeting people. And back then, if you go back in time, it was seen that Jenny Wilson, who's now our county mayor, uh, but back then, because her father had mm-hmm. been the mayor of Salt Lake City as well, she was the she favorite. The race, yeah. But there was something to be said about the shoe leather and walking. And, and you have a jurisdiction in Salt Lake City where I think that is incredibly impactful. I've got to tell you, I know of candidates. I, I would say David Abar is one that he's he is meeting people every single day. And I, people would be unwise to overlook that. I think that the harder you work in a race like Salt Lake City, the more uh, advantage you have. And so I see the work ethic out there as well. I would not count anyone out at this point. There's a there's a race here, and it's going to be good. And I do hope people get involved because I hate seeing these off-year elections where not as many people you talk about, just 2,000 people even. It's changed over years. Not a lot of people get out for these municipal elections. Salt Lake City, I think, may be different than others, but I hope they do. When I tweeted out these results from this most recent uh, Better Utah poll, people were saying, well, would ranked choice voting be a better option? Is this something that you think would have helped in this situation in Salt Lake City? They said no to it, I believe. So it's, so there's, I've heard both sides. What ranked choice voting is, is instead of having uh, a a primary where you just take the top two vote getters, because if you look at who voted, didn't vote for those other two, you could argue there's more votes maybe for the rest than for the two that got the the highest vote. Ranked choice says, look, pick your first favorite. And then who would you take second and third? And what that ends up doing is that ends up taking everybody's vote into consideration and culminating to the, the top. And in some cases, you can avoid runoff races if you do something like that. You can, uh, and, but some people say that, dark, you know, long shots have a stronger, uh, more viability because with ranked choice. Yes, because. But you wonder. So we have what I think I want to say two cities in in, in Utah yeah. who took the plunge, and. And this race is prime for ranked choice. It suits a crowded field. Um, it suits interest. Conventional wisdom would tell you that more people get involved. Just that. Dark yeah. horses, mm-hmm. people who don't right. have name ID say, hey, maybe if I'm everybody's third, I can pop up. The hard part about ranked choice is being that first round, right? Who wants to be the chump in the first field where we're all like, whoa, what's ranked choice voting? Yeah. I, mean, I, I can see sure. why if I were in office, I would take a pass at being the first round, but a you know, curve. three or four elections in, I think Utah's, Utah's, particularly to municipal, I don't know if I love it up ballot, but at a municipal level, I think it'd be good fun. You'd have a broader field, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. strategy would really change, you would want to meet more candidates because it's not just one and done, it's a, it's a couple of choices. You know, my, my, my philosophy yeah. about campaigns and elections, I've, I've been involved, I've been a campaign worker in, in some, and I've been the candidate. Um, just give us the rules. 
I think that what happens with campaigns and candidates is you understand the, the election cycle in which you're in, and you'll be, you'll be good at whatever that may be. And so I think people like what they know. But I, I agree with you. I, I think you, give me the election cycle that you want us to make our case as candidates or as an election uh, a campaign team. People will be good at that. They will make that case. And I think that the voters are smart enough to rank who they like. And so I, I, I have a lot of people that are really worried about this rank choice. They think it's a, a bad thing. I'm, I'm agnostic about it. I can take whatever. I'm every, I am. And about, tell me about the gubernatorial race. There's so Do many it. big yeah, names. Show, show, me, show me. Just put the rules out there. We'll, 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 we'll go. <laughs> as long as you know ahead of time. Yeah. All right. Governor Herbert is on an adventure right now. He's in Europe this week with a delegation on a trade mission there. For people at home, I see some people on Twitter being like, oh, isn't it nice to be the governor? He's on a fancy trip. And then other people are like, this is important for trade. Trade is important. I was actually looking at something recently with tariffs um, affecting Utah. And Utah is a state that actually deals with a lot of trade and brings a lot of product in. Does this matter? Are these missions that we need to go on? Or are they mostly fun and games if you're the ruler of the state? So they're probably a little bit of rolls, right? I mean, as a, yeah. a, a, what I would say that's intriguing to me about them is there's an old adage um, in public policy that political failures are communication failures. Without a mm. doubt, usually when politicians, if you will, fail, is that they don't communicate. So I would say the key to these are tell the voters what you're doing, tell them why it matters. Herbert's great at this, right? Mm. Herbert, why are we talking about it? Because his people released this, yeah. and his people released their agenda and what they were trying to achieve, and they're probably trying to shape around really just saying it's not a junket. Oh, look at these things we're doing. Uh, I think, you know, Greg and I would say they're both, right? I've seen yeah. some where I'm like, hmm, wow, yeah. way to go for that vacay. Yep. And the others I say, wow, these guys were working really hard. They came back. Utah has been the recipient of tremendous deals from these missions. But, but uh, you know, there's junkets galore out there. So you've yes. been on some of these trips before. Yes, Is I've been beat times? like a pinata Tan lines? Ah, look. I've I've been on uh, trade missions that uh, you don't I don't bring my spouse. Uh, we don't sleep in the same hotel two days in a row because we're seeing different uh, cities. We met I've, I've been to Switzerland and we met with this, the parliament members that were handling transportation issues. We met with the people that were handling the mountain transportation and the different. I, I it's this is what I love about public policy. If you're on the ground and you see something, well, let's take even Rio Grande the the homeless issue. Being there and seeing it and being a part of it is very different than a PowerPoint in a committee hearing or somewhere like that. You, you understand issues a lot better, and I think that these trips have yielded great fruit. You gotta, it, but you're right, you have to have some objectives and you better have some measurables and you better show what you're getting for those trips. And so the ones I've participated on, we've brought major manufacturers yeah. to the state. Um, I don't know that every, uh, every trade mission does that, but again, how you communicate that and I think that the governor's in a better position in terms of a bully pulpit to effectively communicate that when you're the Speaker of the House or you're just a legislator yeah, sure. or just a, we just, we're just Are a there pinata. Are arguments sometimes yeah. to bring your spouses along, though? If I were the spouse at home, I'd feel bad. And I also think that I could probably work a crowd and maybe a foreign crowd a little better with my sidekick. So <laughs> I don't know. Do you yeah. think that maybe husbands and wives should go along sometimes? I'm going to take a rare position because okay, I'm not I'm an elected official. Okay, I, I think politics is honorable. 
I think the legislature works too hard and doesn't get paid enough for it. And I think it's occasionally okay, as long as you pay for it, as long as, as, long right. as you're following the rules. Why would you not want to have your spouse experience some of the good parts about what the family has had to do to have an elected official? Absolutely. And I mean, we beat them like dogs all the time, and most of the time they deserve it. But I tell you what, this, these are public servants still, and we don't honor that very much in the public dialogue. I think it's great they bring their spouse. I think it has to be really transparent. I think you got to follow the rules. I think you got to be really clear. But I actually think it's great that it's an opportunity for the family to participate. It's true. The governor is in the mansion 24 hours a day on call, and whether the legislator, you know, is Speaker of the House, yeah. the, there's no office hours. So definitely for sure there. All right, uh, this one's just a quick one, and I think that it has overwhelming support, but it's been interesting to see what Mitt Romney's been backing. One of them is a ban on e-cigarettes nationwide because we're seeing more and more kids getting addicted to these. Do you see this? You have a daughter that's sort of in the age group of junior right. highs and high schools. Do you see kids using these and that it is a problem? We've listened. I've listened in my house to these great, smart so, you know, meaningful kids who know what their values are, and I've listened to the conversations of e-cigarettes not being smoking. Like, oh, that's right. It's You're just a great 13, fumes. aren't you? I mean, it's what a what. A, so you know, I I think it's a political win for. I mean, it's a piece of joint legislation with Udall, and I think it's a great political win. But I also think it's going to be hard to find someone who doesn't say, yeah, e-cigarettes right now. We were we had controlled the tobacco discussion. I felt like. I mean, I think we were in in front of yeah. that. E-cigarettes have, have, have really slid. The, the numbers of teenagers adopting those are incredible. Yeah, we treated them like candy cigarettes. Do you we remember did. those from when we were yes, kids? I you do. could go buy yes, those. Sure. I don't know why my mom ever thought it was okay, but we used to buy those. <laughs> it was a terrible idea. But have kids sort of adopted that? They've got these fruity flavors and it's okay. Is it going to sure. be hard, though, because there's always money behind something? Is there well, going to be a fight from the e-cigarette makers to say, these are fine, let your kids play with them? So, yeah, it's always going to be a political fight, yeah. as, as the tobacco issues have been in terms of taxing tobacco and Look, here's here's the teenagers, I think, are going to be teenagers, and we're going to have uh, acts of rebellion or we're going to have issues like this that, that come up. Uh, the thing that I find funny is I grew up in an era uh, when I grew up, my grandmother smoked the unfiltered Raleigh cigarettes. Sure, yeah. My, and, I, and I had burning cigarettes as I was growing up all the time mm -hmm. around me. Yeah. And it was not foreign, and the candy cigarettes were cool because mm -hmm. my grandmother smoked, and I, and I just thought it would be cool to look like an adult, and that's what I thought an adult was. And But secondhand smoke was a big discussion about that, like the secondhand smoke. Well, you don't have secondhand smoke in e-cigarettes. Is there something that's better about vapor than the smoke that's lingering? I don't know. I <laughs> so my my thing it's is it's all chemicals look, in our lives. Look, if we don't yeah. want we don't want to harm children. We don't want marketing like Joe Camel and the cartoons that marketed to children. We have to be very very careful about those things. But I do think that in some ways where we were very concerned about the the carcinogens and the and the smoke and the secondhand smoke that was in, in, impacting people that weren't smoking themselves, there is something to an e-cigarette that's not having that same effect that I know of at least. But look, it's a, I don't think anybody's going to argue that we should have no regulation on e-cigarettes and that should be a, a complete pass. Um, I just don't get as worked up about it as maybe some other issues that we see. Other people who care about health. And yeah, I let, <laughs> I let the healthy people care about the healthy That's stuff. Right. All right, well, we're on the topic of kids. This one is a tough one. It's been out there this week. Uh, Utah oftentimes feels like an island where we don't have as many racial issues in the news as other states do. But right now, we have a story that is important. I can understand where both sides of it are coming from. But we have a 10-year-old boy. Uh, he's black. He had a gun pointed at him when he was in his front yard. Uh, the police are saying they were literally just out 
searching for a suspect. They thought maybe he could be it in the spur of the moment. The mom obviously walked outside and saw her 10-year-old. I'm trying to imagine my 13-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old in the same situation. Mara, let's start with you. Are there issues with race in this? Was this an honest mistake or do we need to ask more questions? I do have concerns that maybe there's been changing answers from the police department on this. Yes, absolutely. There are issues of race. Absolutely. This was an honest mistake, right? I mean, let's be a little complicated yeah. about it. So um, he's 10 years old. And my concern is what we're talking about in terms of police behavior is drawing a weapon. So we moved to a standard where an officer, a peace officer, has, ha, drew his weapon. That's where I'm like, whew, you drew your weapon. Here's what we know, though, about a plethora of, of surveys on society. As a group, we must accept that we see young black men as older than, and than they are, as more menacing, as larger. There are studies where they will just show someone's eyes. And the rate of seeing aggression in African-American black eyes is so much higher. So one of the things I think we have to own to get rid of implicit bias, we have to own bias. We have to say, yes, I made the wrong call. Why did I make that call? Uh, one of the, so, so I think race was absolutely a factor. Here's the props I want to give the police. They didn't avoid the discussion. Um, they acknowledged what happened. They interacted with the family. The officer seemed to be a thoughtful person who was trying to do the right thing. And what I object to is simplicity on these issues. I object to who was right, who was wrong. Mm. I yeah. absolutely think race was a part of his decision making. It, implicit bias, bias. I think that, that the child being a black yeah. kid really was a part of it. But let's be more complicated than that. I, I don't think you get a pass on continuing to take black and brown communities. And and this kid manifested no behavior that should have prompted no the drawing toys, of nothing the weapon. In his hands. It wasn't yeah. fast movement. So you have to say, if you're earnest about the discussion, you have to say, I think race was involved. If you're equally earnest, you can't say, boy, that cop's such a jerk. I mean, you know, using other expletives. You have to say, okay, let's unpack this. The first thing I want to pack unpack is we do have bias. We have racial mm -hmm. bias in Utah. And we often take a pass at that. Frankly, because we're a super majority of whites and we sit and say, we don't have problems. Of course we do. And for me, what's most important is to say, yeah, of course race was a part of this discussion. Absolutely. I think the scary part when you think about it as a mom, as a community member, is that obviously this officer was looking for someone he thought was armed and dangerous. He had a gun pulled out. There's adrenaline. Police have threats to them every time they pull a car over on the side of the road. My concern becomes once a gun's out, a gun has a finger there. The finger can pull the trigger and something terrible could happen. Uh, what do you see when you've been listening to this happen all week long? So I, it's a, for me, I have a, an employee or someone that's worked for me for many, many years, almost 20 years, uh, Gulf War veteran, African-American gentleman who's older. Uh, the, the, the polar opposite happened in that the police were looking for and searching for a younger, a much younger person. Uh, it's the person's description other than the race was completely different than the person that works for me and that I know. I know that story very well because he, the guns were drawn on him and he was brought to the ground. And it were, it were residents of the building in he, which he was working in who came and, and explained what they had seen. And it was clearly and only because of his race was he, he didn't match any other right. dis, uh, description. And, and I think that what Mara's saying is right is that we, we, we do see people differently. We are uh, more of a homogenous uh, society in Utah than maybe the rest of the country looks at right now and people uh, look at those things that are different and that's not right 
And in hindsight, as I've seen the attention brought to this, I wish I could go back and I could have brought more attention mm -hmm. to what had happened there. I think it needs to be uncomfortable. I think these are uncomfortable conversations, but we got to have these conversations and we have to ask ourselves, you know, when we see something different, it is, it is a, it, there is a reaction to that. Let's acknowledge it, as you've pointed out, but let's ha it's, it's not easy to say. Nobody wants to think that they're racist. I don't think it comes from a place of hate, but we are treating people differently because of race and some of that's how we've grown up or what we're used to but let's let's drill down on that because it's not right we shouldn't be doing that and i think we need to all be more cognizant so let's have that discussion let it let it let it uh, go as loud as it needs to, but that let's have it. The discussion's happening today with Black Lives Matter. I believe they're going to be uh, protesting, asking for this officer to be fired. Do you believe the officer should be yeah, fired, so or is there a conversation that needs to go beyond that in figuring out how to make sure this doesn't happen again? My, my fear with that, uh, Heidi, is that you're looking for winners and losers. You want to punish, you want to, and, and, my, and my fear is that you will find a community that will get very defensive if it looks like we are just out to punish and to uh, get a pound of flesh for something that shouldn't have happened. You've heard me say, I don't think that should have happened. I wish I could go back in time and bring greater attention to what I became aware of. Yeah. Um, because you need, to, you need to address it. But the only way you're going to address that is if you acknowledge it. But if you're just looking to fire people and you're trying to attach hatred or something that, that, that people did not feel, um, then you're going to get people that are defensive. They're going to argue the other side of it, and we really shouldn't be arguing the other side. And I think of it. you know, I think it's real. So I think it's fair to ask for something in return. So it's I fair to ask I've, for his firing. No, I feel like it's fair to ask for something in return. Yeah. I mean, I, so so it has to meet the measure. But I I really get that someone standing up and saying, "Gosh, we we've had this really firm talking to, and we've really sussed this out." Okay, thank you, two white guys. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's yeah. fair to demand more. I think it's fair to say it's not okay to just hold a couple of press conferences. It's not okay to just lip service it. Sure. But I, I want to be more sophisticated than, than this officer needs to be fired. I mean, that just seems, again, it's a serve and volley, a serve and volley. Let's address the issue. So, you know, I, I would demand of that department and that chief that there's tangible, measurable changes, that there's a deep acknowledgement that there is bias involved in it, and that was a part of it. I, 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 it's not mine to decide that the pound of flesh is, is firing, and I think there should be more on the table, but I do see the outrage in the community saying, oh, so you just get to stand up and say, gosh, we, we are really sorry about that. That's not enough. So no, what would I, the more be? What do you think that this office um, could do? Do they... I mean, you can't assign somebody a black friend so they can sit down with them every day and learn that things are different. So what do you do to change people? So I'll just tell you, like in my household, household, we talk a lot about police bias. So, I mean, there are organizations out there that are working with police departments that are measuring their behavior. Yeah. So one of the notions in law enforcement right now is this interesting notion that says, boy, racism, we talk about it a lot in America's feelings. How, how do I touch your feelings other than yell at you and scream at you? But if you can measure bias, can you change it? And the answer in law enforcement has been yes. So let's talk about how you measure bias. Well, they track use of force attempts. They track who is arrested and what the race of that person is. They track undeniably where those go. I mean, one of the things we find is that 
that poverty is a lot of what crime is, and part of it is the cops are in those neighborhoods. If you take those same officers and you put them on the University of Utah campus and tell me they won't have the same arrests, they will have the same arrests. So some of it is in the bias of how your policies work. Mm -hmm. Some of it is in the bias of how you're tracking. So dig deep, take a look at yourself, own that that happened. But departments have a lot of tools to say, I'll come back in six, eight months, I'll come back in a year, and I will review my use of force. I will review any time an officer so it's measurable. It's you know bias is measurable in law enforcement. And look, I've seen it. I've I've, I've I have a lot of friends at different different circles, whether it's in boxing or whether it's uh, in, in in football and being a coach. And and I, I will tell you that I I feel that I have seen uh, whether it's bias or racism, whatever word right. you want to attach to it. I've seen people uh, treat someone who they're not used to that person the way they may talk or yell or the way they may make decisions. Which are if you had a a dad from Draper that looked more like everyone else could say or do the same exact things and the reaction would be different. Sure. I've seen it and I know it exists, but I don't think that what I've seen is born of hate. I don't think someone is, is trying to harm someone. And what happens is, is sometimes when you bring it to people's attention, people get very defensive because yeah. they think you're implying something very bad about them that they don't feel. And, and so I do want to have the uncomfortable conversations. We do have to have ways to to point it out when it's happening because it's happening and, and it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I, But again, I think whether it's a suspension or whether it's everybody's just got to be more cognizant of these things, I think the fact that we're talking about it on this podcast is a, is a great improvement versus the we're not going to hear it because we know we're not that type of right. people. We we're that. not going to yeah. talk about it. We're not going to entertain it. Right. That's the problem if we get there. And so. I don't want to wait until the next incident because I'll tell you, yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out to the women in the room. I mean, bias and discrimination Here it goes. happen. <laughs> How far are we into it's it? It's true. Yeah. It ha I always it get ganged up on when this happens. Moments. It happens in moments where they're like, oh, aren't you the best little whippersnapper? And you're like, wow, way to subordinate me in the room. So we need to look at bias every day. And I don't mm -hmm. want to wait until, I mean, this incident was a 10-year-old child. Absolutely. It was, it's completely unacceptable. But for one moment not thinking that this doesn't happen to uh, people because of their gender and their race and their ethnicity and their choices of who they love. This happens every day in Utah. So it's an everyday discussion. I mean, we, we, it doesn't need an incident like this to make no. it valuable. No, and I think if we can all go home and talk about it around our dinner tables, having open conversations with our kids and our families, I think it all helps. Well, today, um, switching gears, here is President Trump's birthday. I only know that. I heard that on the radio when I came Happy in. Happy birthday, right? POTUS. So, oh, you guys are so you're excited, growing, aren't you? Right? Oh, you're excited. I know, I know so, you are. So you don't get a start on this one, Greg, because <laughs> I know that you want to celebrate President Trump's birthday, as we all do, but maybe more so than the rest of us. But uh, <laughs> President Trump, I feel like he's feels like he's probably having a great week, but he did an interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos. I was actually not it's not It's probably how it's pronounced. Probably, <laughs> yes. That's why you're thinking that. So I was a little name. surprised he actually granted him this two-day interview instead of just to Fox News. For that, I am proud of him for doing that. <laughs> but coming out of this clip that we've seen, I think we've all seen it at this point, they're in the Oval Office and Stephanopoulos is asking him, about if he got another call from, let's say, Russia or someplace else, would he tell somebody about it? And his answer was, no, nobody else would do that. Why? Is that the answer we should expect to hear because sometimes you get a phone call and nobody needs to know about it? Or are we at the point where you need to say, no, I'm the President of the United States. Somebody higher than myself should know about this. So this brings the plea that my heart gives two, three, four times a year. Or, I mean, excuse me, a week. A week. In that every time <laughs> I hear Trump say things like this. So the answer to the question is, 
Yes, I think we should expect the, gov the state, the President of the United States to live up to a high moral and ethical standard. But since he continues to take a pass on that, I think I want to say to my Republican friends, you have choices. <laughs> you have people who can carry your conservative monikers and do it with an understanding of the Constitution, uh, an acknowledgement of the balance of powers, articulation, um, a deep love of America. They can, you, you can have leaders who can carry your banner. Because the reply, all things to Trump, are, I know he's this, this, and this, but I love what he's doing. No. I say, you know, find someone who's doing what he's doing, but perhaps in a way that the presidency would be proud. So Do you find any way, though? we got to ask Mara this. Okay, so honesty, I always teach my kids, is the best right. policy. <laughs> so he's at least honest with us. He tells us, no, I'm not going to call anyone. Do you appreciate that? that? He didn't I actually say that. He didn't say he wouldn't I call anyone. He said he might. I appreciate that he was talking he to he I appreciate that he, he is a top-of-the-mind guy. Like, he really answered. No one's handled him. That was <laughs> yeah. his real yeah. answer. That's and true. he told the truth. He's and unfiltered, much like me, where I sometimes think, you know what, I should filter a little. I'm <laughs> telling you, it's it's this is this is the my this is where selective outrage just okay. drives me crazy because all the things you've just said, I'm not going to say a yeah but and he's this way but okay. I'm gonna oh, tell you're you doing it. I'm going to tell you this. You're using your prayer hands. It is only <laughs> yes, please. It is only since he has become president of the United States that discussions with people from other countries has become treasonous. I've never heard of it before. We, d we know that the Hillary Clinton campaign hired people from other countries to, to do opposition research and to pay people. I mean, I've heard that but they paid them, so it's okay because they paid a transaction for a, a former British spy to talk to the, the people in the government of Russia to come up with this dossier. Uh, that's okay. Uh, Adam Schiff talking to a, he got crank called by a couple of Russians that said, hey, we got all this dirt on, on Trump. And he, he said, okay, let's talk, let's have you talk to the FBI. He was more than happy to talk to these, these foreigners or these people from other countries. I, look, let's just pick a rule and then we all live by it. If I can hear, and this is like a YouTube, uh, recording of Adam Schiff, you know, Congressman Schiff, who's now the head of the oversight committee for the Democrats from February of 18. So this isn't like it came up now. If we can hear recordings where he's talking to and coordinating with people that are representing themselves from another country, if we know that a FISA warrant and a dossier about Trump during, you know, for opposition research was hired by the Clinton campaign to get this information and they were interacting with people from another country, then let's apply that same standard. But if talking to them is bad, then we have to place the same disapproval or Dare I say, I mean, treason is one of those things you can be executed. I mean, that's, there's like a death penalty for treason in some cases. It's that serious. If that's what we're going to associate with his hypothetical, because he ended up saying, if it's Norway, everyone wants to keep talking about it being Russia. But he's, his, his, he walked through a, a, a scenario with Norway um, in that interview. But let's just apply the same standard. Just pick it. I don't care if the Democrats well, we want to pick. Your shift standard. Shift said, "I'd tell the FBI and I'd talk about and, it." And he did. And, he and said a couple the same days thing. later, Trump said, was I, like, I "Oh, FBI that's right. Too. I need to say I would call the FBI." No, well, he said that. No, no, he said oh. that in that interview. He said, uh -oh. I, "I'd call oh. him. I, I might, I might not." But I, but he absolutely allowed for that to call them if he heard what they said. If you heard what they said. You got to know what they're going to say or who they are to to be able to take I'm it further. I'm okay with both the Republicans That's... and the Democrats because both spoke out on this Trump interview. I'm okay with both of them saying, 
yes, I do think we should pay attention to how the uh, President of the United States deals with foreign nationals in secret. I'm sort of okay that we've got a magnet on We've that. got a that's, magnet. That's, that's so a magnet if Hillary Clinton that. had won the last election, would we be talking about her dossier or no. conversations? Is, would she still no. be in trouble for that, not, or is that different? So if, if Greg Hughes says that if Hillary Clinton were elected, he would be fair and impartial, it wouldn't then have become I'm going an to issue. have to like it flutter it myself a little bit. It wouldn't so have been I an issue to know about. That, that, yes, she would be. I mean, she was under scrutiny. He was under scrutiny. You know, I think it, right now the dialogue, the tone that's being said in Washington, ugh. Oh, right? I, no, I agree, but I, I think you and I would, would differ from where, what sources it's coming from. But I, I think, I really do. I think this president has, is incredibly honest. I think he's talking about, he's giving you his, his absolute answer. And I don't think it's inconsistent with things we've seen uh, from others that have spoken to people from other countries who have. Remember, do you remember when? Different. Do you remember when Mitt Romney <laughs> said one of the one of the biggest threats to our country is is Russia and and President Obama's response to that was the 80s called they want their Cold War back. He completely discarded anything that, that would be negative so, about so associating you with. You thought he did with, a terrific job on this interview. Uh, well, I, you were like I found, rock star. I thought that Donald the time. Listen. I, oh, I didn't have any. Pro I, I found it. I found it to be absolutely accurate. And I thought, if you have a problem with what he answered, then you definitely have a problem with the dossier and and Clinton's campaign hiring foreign uh, former spies and coordinating with the Russians with this information they were getting to put in that dossier. I mean, you're almost. And if, if there's such a problem with the hypothetical he's describing, then the reality of hiring these foreign foreign uh, agents and people I agree has to be even scrutiny. worse. But you know we're talking about the sitting president of the United States, right? I mean, but, I just I want to be clear to be I, on, but, on sort of the, perhaps something I never, actually maybe different I never, No, but I never took offense that, that she hired a former British spy and that they worked with, the, the, you know, these Russians for this information. What I had a problem is they used opposition research to get a FISA warrant. I don't think that was, and it was unverified information, but never in that calculus did I go, they talked to someone from Britain. Oh, and I appreciate bad. that. And, 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 and she's doing whatever Trump's, she's doing right and now. Trump's and Trump's answer was, if I heard White from House. someone from Norway, Ooh, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, uh, <gasps> I wouldn't call oh, the I wouldn't oh. be red alert if I heard from someone from Norway. Do you think Norway's a hostile country? Do you I've think never that would, been there would you call, would you call like watching the B-roll and this is like classic Trump right now. You're like, naughty look over people here. everywhere. No, that's how he answered it. He answered it with that example of Norway. He answered it with Norway. I know he did. I'm sure there's some sketchy just, I don't see anything scandalous about that. You never those know. Norwegians. There's naughty people everywhere. <laughs> okay. I will start looking at those Norwegians differently. I will start they now. They do have salty licorice, and I love that. Okay, so we ended this podcast with a cliffhanger last week. We didn't know where the tariffs were going to go. Let's talk tomorrow first and see if <laughs> President Trump got a win on this. Here we go. So, Please. President Trump... Um, Got some agreements uh, that there would be about six thousand troops I headed down to the southern border out of his coat pocket, right? And um, some other changes that are going on. Are these wins for Trump in that he was like, "You're getting tariffs, or else I'm putting you in timeout"? Were these things that would have happened otherwise, or did his tactic of tweeting "You're grounded" work? So you know, I think Trump would say he had a win this week. I think for Trump, wins are about tweets and political dialogue. 
is America in a great place for his strong leadership on Central and, and South America and Mexico? No, from my point of view, they're not. He doesn't seem to understand who pays for tariffs, which I find really concerning. So I'm going to see that there's probably a PR victory for him this week. He certainly loved it. It's his kind of television. And what's happening with his kind of television is half of us are turning it off and trying not to be in the fetal position. Half are doing whatever Greg dances, does when he sees victory that dances, happen. Yeah. Saying, Way to go. Like, oh, of course. Don't lie. Oh, come on. It's, it was not it a win for the United States. I, think, yeah. I mean, my I child, think it, was. it was a tactic my child would do in which I'm saying, yeah, well, I, I, my homework is totally done. Well, where is it? Well, I can see it because I can, you know, I mean, he's the fake no, pulling out of stuff. They signed agreements, and yet, right? And yet, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, wouldn't well, one show so us that agreement? The, I, I thought, I mean, I did. I do believe that they that the difference between whatever theoretical work they were going to do at the border the versus this was that they were signing these agreements. Work. Here's here's the, they talked about the 6,000 troops. They talked about ending the bank accounts of, of human traffickers and all those things. And I thought that they uh, memorialized that with signatures and agreements. This is this is the this is the issue, and we've talked about this. I would love for Congress to do its job. I would love for there to be something happening on the border that is more sane, that is more orderly, that has a wide gate. Have a have a wall or have a fence, but have a wide gate and allow people to come through. We do this as when we go to other countries. There's a there is a scrutiny that that is that goes on. There's nothing wrong with that, and I think we should be working Mexico and the United States collaboratively on that. I'd love for Congress to take the lead and come up with some of those solutions. But in the absence of that, I thought that the president putting something like tariffs uh, as a as a as an issue that we're that he has the power to to influence really did bring it to to a head. And I think that he did get uh, better cooperation. Now, what I hear is, well, that was an agreement that was already going to happen. It reminds me of when Ronald Reagan, when the when the Cold War ended, and we saw that you know we saw the USSR break up. Everybody said Ronald Reagan was never right. That was always going to happen. That that Cold War was always going to end. It was a bad economy. It was always going to happen. He just got lucky. He was in the right place at the right time. That's a great defense. You can always criticize someone that, that it'll never work. Those tariffs won't work. It'll never work in Mexico. You, the Cold War is never going to work. And then when it does, well, it was already already going to happen that way. With the Soviet it's an airtight Union defense. Who, who I, I, I give you that against our friends from Mexico. And I love that we don't address one why the crisis, why people are flooding in. I mean, yeah. people are flooding into the United States the same reason people were buying guns under Obama because Trump has made this a, a, a situation in which they're concerned about egress and ingress. These are our friends. These are people. And you know, when we talk about violence and crime. Let's talk about our insatiable need for drugs on the U.S. side. Oh, no, I Not I on give the Mexico side. I absolutely This was that. happening sure. with or without Trump. This was but yet another grandstand by Trump to take credit for serious-minded people, and then he makes it stupid. Nah, so I, I I'm going to give a nod to the people brokering the long-term okay. bureaucrats. Right. I'm going to give a nod to that. I still right. think America is being driven by these well-intended public servants. But Trump, ah. Uh, he, here's the thing. Uh, much of what you just said, I can't disagree with. In Last terms, word here. Yeah. So, but here's here's the issue for me. It's hard for me to understand an immigration law and policy and procedure uh, that the rest of the world has to adhere to. That I think is far too arduous. I think it's. Uh, I think it is. It it begs for the illegal mi immigration sure. because it is just too hard. Um, I I participate in the citizenship swearing in, and it's one of the most emotional and one of the most inspiring meetings I've or events I've ever attended. Um, 
we got it's just it's fundamentally unfair to the people that are are trapped in a process that is so arduous and so long and really prohibitive mm -hmm. while others come through uninterrupted we got to make that fair for everybody and that's really at the heart of why i want to see a, an orderly border i want to see that process make sense and and i honestly i think that's a that, that should be more of a bipartisan issue than i think it is but that, yeah. look, that's that's we what need I people have. naturalized. Yes, I like. You I should leave that. I totally agree. Yeah, I agree. All right, we need a whole other show for this. The good news is, it is <laughs> President Trump's birthday, so he's one year older <laughs> and wiser too. And so, with wisdom comes good decision making. <laughs> so, thank you, Mara, for joining us. Absolutely. You've been fun to have. Greg, thank you for sticking around. We will be back at it next Friday. Thank you so much. You can subscribe to the podcast and listen. Thanks so much for spending your Friday with us. <laughs>